I would love it to be the good one. That would be great if it was the good one. <laughs> you know the good one? The good one. The round boy. The child. My bubble-headed baby. The Your blue. Son. My son. My he son. My son. son. And that's my son. Um, they have tried to take the mic of my son. They have tried to take the life of my... Oh, good. Yes, well done. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm dumb. <laughs> references um i actually i did knock him i did knock him off the, the pile of books that i use as a desk when i sit on my bed to record the podcast and i thought my boy as he fell on the ground <laughs> my boy you, you, my you boy. to take the life of your son i tried to take the life of my son you it's my boy <laughs> Um, I'm a what's a what's the opposite of a patricide? Filicide? Filicide. Walk without rhythm, it won't attract the worm. Walk without rhythm, and it won't attract the worm. Walk without rhythm, and it won't attract the worm. If you walk without rhythm, uh, you never learn. Hey, do you know what? Do you have a guest? It's your girl. You already know who it is. <laughs> because you read the podcast description. <laughs> Hi, it's me. I'm here. Do I introduce myself before you? We're lazy. We don't do it. Hi, my name's Kavita Padura. You can call me Kavi. You can find me on Twitter at YRGirlKV. I make role-playing games and also I read Dune to talk to my friends about it. Hey. <laughs> you, you read June for that fine accolade of talking to us terrible Listen, people. I, I'm so proud to be here at the university. I'm so honored to be like the, oh God, Ray, what did we say I was? The head of diversity, equity, and inclusion? No, oh, the uh, head of equality and diversity. <laughs> the head of Undiversity, a la Duniversite. Yep. That's me. That's you. We we really care about um um difference in diversity and having a diverse voices at uh-huh. this institution. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so we are one of Export Audio Podcast Network's many brown friends. I think this is like seventy five percent of the people of color on this network. Great. I'm Ray, uh, vice chancellor at the university, also known as Frizz, also known as Skeleton of a Man, also known as Master Butte. Um, I pronounce it they're them, and I'm here to talk about things and stuff. Who are you? Who's who's me? Me is Josie. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I am the chancellor at the miniature chancellor. <laughs> the tiny little chancellor. Like like a statue that goes on top of a car, like a posh car. That's me. I am the little statue that goes on top of the University of Duke. Oh, uh, my pronouns are she, her, since I don't think I said that. Yeah, that's important to say. Do you have a history with Dune? No, I just I've just been reading it, and I I, I was talking about this with Ray on the um, mm. but like Dune is such Dune is one of those things where everything is based on Dune, and if you yeah. don't know that it's based on Dune, then it's like, damn, how come everyone thinks of the same thing? And it's because Frank Herbert thought of it. Every desert <laughs> planet in any space opera is just Arrakis. Every worm mm. in 
any space, any sci-fi thing is just the sandworm. Because, I mean, I have very little, um, uh, I'm not conversant in sci-fi generally speaking. Yeah. So whatever, I, whenever I... Let's try it all the way up, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Keep going! But uh, I was just going to say that any pronouncements I've made about sci-fi are completely uninformed. Yeah. um, And based on an extremely limited sample size of things that I've read and kind of liked. That's how I make all my pronouncements. Well, don't worry, because I'm here with a sample size that is maybe like 50% bigger than yours. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) We love it. So, you know, real huge. (laughs) I mean, and also when I talk on the podcast, I generally say that I generally say sci-fi fantasy. Which Dune is. Because I think Dune Dune is both, I'm pretty Uh sure. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think Frank Herbert has straight up said that they're like, this is fantasy dressed up in space stuff. And aesthetically, it looks both to the past and to the quote unquote future. It looks extremely um, to the past. It does so much like, you know, Greek. It looks explicitly to the past. And I think that is only, you know, um bolstered by the the Lynch adaptation, which is like, let's put everyone in a 16th century like Basque and everyone is like going to glide around and stab each other with knives and it's going to look like Henry VIII's court and it's going to be awesome. Speaking of which, um Franken never describes what anybody is wearing past either leotards, plural, or a dress that is a colour. That's it. Do better. Do better. Bitch. bitch. Frank. Frank, you bitch. Leotards seem like they'd be uncomfortable on a desert. More bed. than one as well. Could be... Imagine getting sand in your yeah. two layers of leotard. <laughs> sand trapped between the layers of leotard. Look, you're already pulling from, like... You're already just pulling from Islam so much anyway, and, like, from Middle Eastern cultures. The clothes are... are They dress like that because it's practical for desert environments. You may as well. Like, at this point, it's not worse. I mean, and uh, I just... When we meet Dr. Kind's last chapter, and he's like, oh, yes, he's got a flowing situation <laughs> on his head and further flowing situations on his body. And that's kind of it. And it's not very, it's not very satisfying in a narrative kind of way. Yeah, I've realized now that I think about it that I'm actually editing fashion in over <laughs> my mental image of these characters because they're not, never described as wearing anything. Yeah, same, because there's nothing. He gives us nothing. He gives us dirt. What do you want from us, Frank? Just, just make it fashion, Frank. <laughs> Please make it fashion. Please. I think, I think that's sort of uh, the point of the movies. Is to make it fashion. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. We'll see how well they do. I hope they do make it fast. I do have three pages of notes that I didn't share with you that have things about that have your piercing stuff observations that I like on. stuff that I notice. Yeah, my piercing observations such as oh, what hates it in <laughs> capitalized and extremely forceful toast all caps and uh the struggle in quotation marks. What does that mean? We don't God, know. God, I literally have okay, so I'm glad we have the same style of note taking because here are three of mine. <laughs> the Duke Leto Atreides is fake woke. He is fake woke. <laughs> He's extremely fake woke. Uh, and then here is his name is Lingar Butte. <laughs> and then I have God Leto is so smart and also so fucking stupid. <laughs> Same with Paul though. Dumb geniuses. Greatness is a transitory experience. It is never consistent. It depends in part upon the myth-making imagination of humankind. 
The person who experiences greatness must have a feeling for the myth he is in. He must reflect what is projected upon him, and he must have a strong sense of the sardonic. This is what uncouples him from belief in his own pretensions. The sardonic is all that permits him to move within himself. Without this quality, even occasional greatness will destroy a man. From Collected Sayings of Mahdi by the Princess Irulan. Thank you, Princess. So, thank you, Princess. So we have things to say about this. I do. Okay, say, say, say them then, please. Say, say, say them. <laughs> say, say them. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking about how how much Dune is about like implanted myths and like manipulative uh, dogma and uh, like um, being someone who like uses belief to exploit groups of people. And this is kind of like not entirely condoning it, just saying that you have to do it good, <laughs> which is interesting. Again, I don't have the books. <laughs> Maybe I should go and get it. I think it, it's interesting to me. I, I don't know. I've enjoyed Princess Erlon's character, this weird, like, historian mm, and sociologist who is, like... Yeah. I like her a lot. Mm, I really like her. I like what's being gotten at here of, like, so much of this book is about Paul and Jessica nat- trying to... Or, or Jessica trying to navigate for Paul this, like, tactical myth action i guess of like these myths have been deployed across the galaxy as like weird scripts that you have to figure out and intuit it's like genetically engineering a myth Mm. yeah and then when you can place yourself in it you can take the power that it would give you um which is like extremely yeah but then you also have Um. like you're also constantly bound by the notion that it is on some level artificial or if not artificial you know manufactured Hmm. the power isn't not real but it is like it's like nobody actually looked at the future um you are stepping into that role because you know it grants you power and they become they become self-fulfilling in that way but i think it's important i i think what (laughs) yeah and i mean june is so thoroughly about like self-fulfilling prophecies and trying to escape things that you've put yourself on the path of. Uh, I'm going to get my book. You two talking. <laughs> it's difficult to be off book, I think, probably. I mean, I just if I can, if I may um, nerd for a moment, um, I really... Please. Uh, oh, please, please do. Um, I, I really like the way that this... The Princess Irulan, as a, as a chronicler of the Muad'Dib... Uh, I hate the way I say Muad'Dib... Anyway, um, is kind of very conscious of, of the idea that there is a myth-making process, that it's a man-made process, and that it doesn't just happen. Um, Paul does it to himself, uh, and also... And she's doing it to him, she's too. She's doing it to him as well. So there's, like, this double layer of kind of irony, which is so great. Yeah. Um, and it kind of differs from... The, uh, the, the classical model, if you like, because one of the comparisons I keep making to this, uh, epic, I guess, is, uh, Herodotus, um, who is an ancient history man, uh, who wrote a, uh, chronicle of, um, some old wars. But it's still very much through the lens of, like, uh, ancient Greek religion. So the way he thinks about great men, is because the gods kind of um, ordained their greatness. There isn't that double remove of like um, they kind of self-ordaining 
their own greatness uh like like it is in here which i do think is like pretty special and actually very amazing um yeah it's i it's really fascinating to think about like how much this is a concerted effort and how much irulan like knows that even as she reinforces it mm. i i have to i don't remember whether princess irulan is a is a bg or not um which maybe i could look up actually um because i just think that the the particular modus operandi of the benegesserit in terms of myth making and self-fulfilling prophecies and you know like plans to alter history that go back hundreds and thousands of years like that that's that seems kind of quite significant if you're talking about sort of self-myth making and the myth making of a particular leader she seems like she admires their methods certainly i have to say i can't get out of my head the image of the princess irulan from the, the david lynch movie it's just the beautiful floating head lady um uh, who looks like completely lit from the inside and has like great highlighting um, and good like sort of a braid situation but she doesn't really do a lot of anything in the, the movie she just like has great skin and appears and kind of then disappears god this is fucking this is this is oh this is natalie portman from star wars who's padme this is <laughs> Yeah, I guess she's a bit Padme. Yeah, like very much so. Everything is Dune. All sci-fi is just yeah. Dune. Oh, speaking of Ray, can I ask you a quick question? Did you read Homestuck? I did. I didn't. Ray. Yes. Is Dune Homestuck? Um, I don't want to say yes before I've thought about it, but maybe. Uh Throw out your parallel here for me. So much of what Homestuck is, especially, um, so much of what Homestuck is, is dealing with prophecy and, like, inevitability and myth-making. Oh, right? yeah. Because the game is, He's like, already here. Yeah, right? The game is, like, you are <laughs> heroes. You're set up to fulfill these prophecies to fight these monsters to become, you know, these godlings. And, like, really what that is, is the sort of same thematic through-line as Dune distributed across... Like, yeah. several yeah. gay teenagers, some of whom are aliens, instead of one <laughs> ostensibly heterosexual teenager. One gay teen. <laughs> oh, mate. This has already gone over my head. It's fine. Don't ever read Homestuck Josie. Why Please not? Don't. I want to. Don't You're saying I, I shouldn't it's make bad. me want to. You can read Homestuck, but you should know what you're getting into, is what I'll say. I started reading Homestuck when I was 16 and depressed, and I thought, I'll just like start reading this until I understand what it is, because everybody's talking about it. And reader, I read up until, I read until it was updated, and then followed it for several years, and then gave up. Um, it's done a lot of bad things. Jesse, uh, I don't know if you would like it. I, I, it's very I, long. I have to say, I struggled with the um, the aesthetics of it. I don't like with Discord, which I, st- I I I feel funny about. I don't think I am game enough to understand it. Yeah, I'm not games. Homestuck is so games. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, it's like I didn't connect to that whatsoever because I've never played a video game. So much of what Homestuck's myth making is is about video games and how like you know when you're the chosen protagonist in a video game that world exists to serve you in a really weird way i I think i probably have a similar relationship though with the webcomic akewood which is of similar um breadth 
and Gesamtkunstwerk, like, you know, depth and all-consumingness as um, home, Homington stuff. Wow. Copy, maybe Dune is the perfect poker rap if it's a Gesamtkunstwerk. Is Dune a Gesamtkunstwerk? No. I don't think it is. I think a Dune movie by the right person could be a Gesamtkunstwerk. I think I think the succession of the two excellent. I just wanted to make a joke about the perfect poker rap. I'm Ray, sorry. Thank you. We we acknowledge joke. I think the It's it's a good joke. I just, okay. I just want to get my thing in about Gesamt, Gesamtkunstwerk. Is that the 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 Dune legacy of one failed, one, you know, non-existent and one, you know, in the works Dune movie is uh, all consuming mm-hmm. a, a totality enough for me personally at the moment mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> That's enough. i think the whole thing of lynch's abortive dune um and jodorowsky's uh fully not realized dune because he ran out of money uh and then this upcoming mm-hmm. dune dune to to be it's also a dune miniseries and there is that as well and it has james mcavoy in it I feel like that's also a failed dune. It's just like you have all these failures from all these different prisms and like all this work that went nowhere. I think that's pretty kind of grand and epic on a on a scale that's fairly mm. unreplicated in other large media. I wonder if things. you can even make a dune movie. Well, that's what they say that's impossible. <gasps> Well, it's not even that. I just think movie is like a... Like, I think you could make a Dune miniseries that would do better than a Dune movie because Dune just needs time and movies just don't have enough time. But have you heard the thing about Jodorowsky's Dune? That it was like the script was six hours and then it became nine hours and then it became six, like three movies and everyone was like, this. it just hemorrhaged money and... Yeah, but like at that point, dog, it's just a miniseries. Yeah. I guess it's so. just a mini series that um, doesn't have good breaks. Yeah, and I mean the Dune, the Dune, because I finished the first book of Dune. Oh, I finished wow. the audiobook um, like yesterday, and it definitely doesn't feel like it finishes there. So, like, I can't imagine the Dune film ever feeling like it's done because it extremely doesn't feel done. Like, I mean, I think the upcoming Dune movie is supposed to get halfway through ah. this current this volume oh, okay. of Dune. That sort of makes more sense, actually. <laughs> and I think it's going to try and be the next blockbuster sci-fi, yeah, the next um, Star adventure War. time story, the cinematic, un- the Dune cinematic universe. Exactly, <laughs> and I dread it. I dread it, and I malign it. Yep, same. <laughs> um, shall we talk about the chapter? Let's. What a good chapter. A really good chapter. Um, I think it's, it's really so hard to know fun. where to start, so it might be good to, like, yeah, what are our general impressions? What are our feelings about it? I think it's fucking good. I really enjoyed it, yeah. What did you like about it? I really... I, I think I just love that this entire chapter is a game of, like, four-dimensional, five-player, passive-aggressive chess <laughs> in a way that's, like, yeah, it's so... It got to this point where, like, there are so many layers of double meaning that it's almost silly to try and analyze them. It's like, it's obvious. It's very obvious. Yeah, right? It's obvious, but it's also basically incomprehensible (laughs) because the amount of hand signs and gestures and secret nods and winks and looks that people are doing over and under the table and telepathically and... And it's like, you can see all of them and you don't know exactly what any of them mean, but you know that, like... But I imagine it's a clever... It's a kind of clever way of 
portraying that kind of situation that you can't ever understand everything that's going on in when you're in it yourself it to just write something that is pretty much incomprehensible <laughs> i guess it's accurate yeah i mean i i loved this because it um satisfied my particular need for like a bitchy dinner scene that happens oh, in every so historical good. novel oh, happens so in good. all the Jane Austens it's so and it's yes. just like except you know it's very Jane Austen yeah I mean except the thing is that intergalactic space troops aren't about to burst into you know yeah. dinner at right, the Bennett's that didn't matter because everything <laughs> everything that Paul and Jessica were saying to like tear down the banker was so much more oh, important oh so good so honestly good. give me a Jane Austen mm. reboot <laughs> yes I think you can do that in good society. Pride and prejudice and protest. <laughs> oh, wait, no, fuck, what am I saying? Sense of sensibility and starships. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm really tempted to sort of divert into how Covey has been reading Pride and Prejudice recently. Have you? No, I haven't. I should. I oh. only listen to the Waypoint Radio. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rewatch, and I'm like, damn, I gotta read it's, this book. It's good. Have you, seen, it's good. have you seen the miniseries? The BBC one. No, that's what they were. That's what the Waypoint Radio. Is. That's the one you it's, need to it's watch. It's the only miniseries in existence. It's, it's the only one. It's the only. There's one. only one of them. It's, and it's, it's that the one. best one. It's the original, and it's the only miniseries to ever exist. Oh, it's perfect. Oh, it's so... I'm gonna. My plan is to watch that over the summer after I read yeah. the books. Oh, you're gonna yeah. love it. Yeah, or the, it's beautiful. The book. I, I'm certain I am. The book is so so easy to read. You will glide through it in a day. I promise. It's like just all of the d- delicious gossip you've ever had in your life just smushed it's into... It's like this scene for a whole book. Oh, it's so great. It's really oh, good. That sounds great. <laughs> Speaking of, we should maybe really quickly summarize what happens. Yeah, later. I can do that. I can extremely do the summary. Can you? Yes. Let me Ray, do I would love you to do the summary. Okay. I don't want you to do it. Okay, so... Um, I was not very happy with the chapter summary that I did last time, so I'm doing it again. This chapter is wonderful. It's the absolute most complex, bitchiest Regency Aston has seen ever, filled with codes and customs and signs and metaphors. Um, Jessica has set up this dinner with the minor houses and the other people of political significance on Arrakis so that she and Leto can establish themselves among them. Uh, as mother and father surrogates, so they say. Um, the bull's head is lit from below, everybody's got their poison snoopers out, we're ready to have a good time. Jessica is being watched by Duncan as part of Leto's make Jessica feel really bad in a reason plan. Paul is aloof among his anime boy harem, and Leto is feeling dangerous. Da-da-da dangerous. Jessica has invited a few people, um, including someone, lots of women who all apparently are the same, someone who controls the sails of water, banker, Dr. Kynes, and a smuggler named Tua. I don't remember the banker's name. He's not that important. Lots of this chapter revolves around water customs. Leto abolishes the Harkonnen water custom, which is like an extremely wasteful one where guests would soak, uh, they would dip their hands in water and then soak the towels in water and then throw them into a big sopping pile on the floor that would be moved outside so peasants could suck on them or whatever. Um, so Leto abolishes that because it's super wasteful and he realises that the servant lady was planning on selling the water um, to the poor people of Arrakis and that makes him think about death. Um, actually he's thinking about his own death quite a lot this chapter. 
So he tells the guests this, and they all make a bit of a fuss about it. And Lingard Butte, the water monopoly guy, makes a snide comment about the conservatory, the weirding room that Jessica has all the plants in. Jessica says she's holding the plants in trust for the future of Arrakis, and Kynes is like, eyes emoji. Everyone thinks that she is great, and they are right. So they go to dinner, and before all sorts of weird, like, fake French dishes are served to make them seem extra fancy, Leta gives a weird, a weirdly aggressive toast that makes everybody super uncomfortable. Um, he forces them through the rules of common courtesy to dump all of their water on the floor, and they are not happy about it. And then everybody begins to play 5D chess. Jessica notices that the banker is a Harkonnen spy, and the girl who's accompanying Paul is setting out to make political statements and threats and things like that. So Jessica starts confronting him and like doing this sort of conversational dance, and then Paul is like, let me play, um, and they tag team him basically to death. They very pointedly discuss cannibalism among animals in Arrakis, and whether or not the climate on Arrakis can be changed. Kind, who has been ready to kill a bitch, is excited about the development of Arrakis, but also super duper cagey about what the heck is up. So he, something's going on, but nobody knows what it is yet. And Jessica and Paul are both thinking, why, why is he alive? What's going on? Leto is called off because of an emergency, and uh, I have some news about security, and Paul takes the head of the table. He tells a scary story about the time he saw a fisherman dead, and then he's like, haha, but what if that happened in the dining table? And everybody's super offended. He calls everybody out, and he's a little smart ass. At the end of the chapter, we get news from later that the Harkonnens have been intercepted with a shipment of lace guns, which is ominous, and we don't know what it means. Other than that, Paul will be sleeping in the basement. I'm excited. <laughs> Let's do it! Let's analyze the shit out of it yes so let's talk about water customs i love this bit because i think it really um illustrates uh um francis herbert's uh whititude his whititude um because i think the the way he talks about it's just all very exoticized it's like it reminds me of things that i've read about like the native american like native american Uh cultures where like white dude comes in as like all of your things i do not understand them and they're like we do it for a reason it's like but i don't think that it's good actually (laughs) Uh. yeah (laughs) which is the the entirety of this whole book yeah (laughs) is this like it's 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 shit like is this like strange spiritual practice it's like exceptionally practical Mm. i mean but it's it is the the whole thing about the um the water practices is that it's exoticized cruelty, right? And that they make the beggars, they, everyone spills the water when they come in and then they mop it up and they make beggars drink it. Um, and additionally also is that the, the woman who is yeah. in charge of giving it to the beggars wants to make the beggars pay for it. And everyone's like, oh, isn't that fucked up that the brown people make you do this thing, good yeah. white man? And the good man's like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore, actually. Actually, I think it's bad. Hey, like, that's not, that's not anything. <laughs> that's nothing. And then, yeah, because, like, yeah, Leto's solution is any of the beggars can come and get a cup of water while we're having dinner. And it's like, yeah, like, dude, you yeah, still I mean, have date take palms. Take your date why, palms down, why do you think my guy. Take them down. 
It's one of those things, like, like, strictly speaking, that's better, but if you have that much water, there just shouldn't be beggars. <laughs> like, oh, at all, lucky maybe. me. You don't fucking... Once in your uh, life, yeah. my, my person... But it's all part of this propaganda. <laughs> it's just, it's, and everyone's like, oh, later, you are so good, yeah. oh my gosh. And it's like, yeah, if you come to my house between 6 and 8 p.m., then you can have a cup of water. Except the mean water guy, who's like, oh, but I'm a mean water guy. And I like the water custom because it means I get more water to sell and I have a more powerful monopoly on the water. <laughs> it's all, I mean, I, I would like to think that it's sort of also a comment on like the hollowness of Leto's propaganda because all of his propaganda is like, I am good. I'm nice. I'm your woke friend. But he's sort of still, he's doing the same thing as the Harkonnens, but in a nice way, in a nicer way that means he doesn't like, actively kill as many people but he's not actively reforming any of the systems that mean that people have to live in these conditions and like be oppressed right i think that's an amazing observation i think it's probably smarter than the book oh sorry covey <laughs> he's not he's not really fixing anything he's just sort of booing the people who are worst hit by it and like that is better because those people are better off but like he has the power to do so much more, and he isn't. It's like Trump versus Obama, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Little Obama. <laughs> Neoliberalism. I think, I think Dune is a metaphor for the Obama administration. <laughs> this is very... That's very astute. Ah, oh, it gets political on the university podcast. Always. The thing that that Leto did his other fake work thing where he poured out his own water and then made everybody else do it. It's like, okay, a gesture to rub in people's faces how cruel they are and make them feel uncomfortable. Oh, is that what you got from it? Because I thought he was just being uh, disorderly. I thought he was just beginning beginning to give less of a shit. No, that's what it was for. It was. I thought he I was thought being was... deliberately contradictory and um, freaking people out with his unpredictable behaviour. It's that too, I think. I think this is, it's a strange power plan. I don't have it quite figured out in my head, but it feels a lot to me like you don't fucking get to deprive people anymore. This is what deprivation is like. And I'm going to force you by the ritual of politeness to deprive yourself. And sort of shaming them into recognizing the brutality of their own customs. Yeah, To deprive yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Mm. Right, exactly. Because like people could have drunk that water. That's what I thought. Also, it's it's still incredibly fake woke. Oh, it reminds me of like you know white artists who do provocative things that are like makes you think, but like <laughs> yes. it doesn't it doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't mean <laughs> anything. Maybe it's going to get sold for like millions of pounds and people are going to get rich from it, but it doesn't like doesn't change anything meaningful just because it was controversial. It doesn't like do anything in the world. Ray, are you saying are you saying he's banking? He's banking. <laughs> He is banky. All right. Although this is more like a sort of Marina Abramovich-like performance art type situation where you write stuff in lipstick on your body, yes? Like feminist body practice. Yeah, or like you make some knitting that you your period blood to die for some reason. Like that sort of thing. Actually, I love that. I think it's good. <laughs> I'm sorry, and I know it has like particular like, sort of anti-trans body stuff. feminist yeah. statements. But I'm like, but you you knitted it. And <laughs> what? Why? Oh, do we have anything else to say about water customs? Um, I like how Kynes, the good, wonderful Dr. Kynes, he pours it into his jacket like a badass. 
Yeah, he's like, I'm keeping this, actually. I'm keeping this water, it's water. Which is, like, also a, a, a sort of um, very neat illustration of the political circumvention of, you know, the the point that um, Leto's trying to make. He's like, oh, yes, but we the Fremen, we're good. We're good. And we we are, we do good stuff, like, have good water. And Kainz is just like, okay, I'm keeping this. So we're, we're exempt from this particular, like, um, condemnation of the colonial practices of the Harkonnens, yeah? And Kainz is like, no. Kainz is like, I'm already, I'm already woke, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yet again, we sip from the tall flagon of our kinds respecting juice. <laughs> the, the sweet, sweet water of kinds respecting juice. We love it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the the water of the sweet water of kinds respecting. Kinds is so He's really good. good. Yeah, I read some of the. Um, I listened to some of the epilogue, the epilogue, the um, mm. appendices about kinds, and they were really interesting to me. Uh-huh. And it does tie into something that I have to say about this chapter. So like. Frank okay. not only is an author, but also is an ecologist. And therefore, in his books, the only good mm. people in his books, the only people who go without very much criticism are ecologists. <laughs> and a mark of like being a good and smart person is knowing about ecology. <laughs> Do you know, Frank, he references some 20th century ecology in this book, in in this chapter of... Um, uh, June. Let me see if I can find the reference. You talk, and then I will find it, and I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Let's do talking. So the next thing I had on the list was talking about the tension between Leto and Jessica, opposed to yeah. him being like, okay, I have to make my wife sad so that I don't make the Hokonans kill me. This is a bit where I was like, God, Leto is so smart and also so fucking stupid. Like, Jessica's whole superpower is being the best at acting. I know. <laughs> That is her entire thing. And he's like, no one can know, so I mustn't tell her. But if she knew, she would yeah, do it perfectly. Because that's what her thing I is. Know. And he like, he told Paul, what are you doing? Which I actually think, like, given that he's up to this stupid scheme, I'm glad he told Paul about it because someone yeah. should know. But like, also, do just tell your not white. Just tell your wife. And I feel like it's that sort of thing I really hate in books where someone makes a decision that would it would really help if the other person knew it and then they for no reason they don't tell the other person and that's the source of all the drama. Yeah. I sort of I really don't like plots like that because they feel so contrived. They feel frustrating because the conflict doesn't feel real in any way. Yeah, contrived is the word, the good one that they you They just used. feel contrived. Oh, sorry. You said yeah. contrived and I was like, Oh, do you mean a contrived? Because I didn't hear, I didn't hear Kavi say contrived. Sorry. <laughs> oh, 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 do you it's, mean it's contrived? Fine. It's totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> she beat you to being smart. It's fine. I was just going to say the, um, the, uh, ecology things. The, uh, the Tansley effect. So, um, when, uh, Kynes is talking about, uh, oxygen interchange, um, and the pilot projects that he's running about terraforming, um, June. Uh, or was running about secretly terraforming June that he doesn't quite cop to. He's like, ah, oh, yes, the Tansley effect, which is a um a, a method of experimentation devised by Sir Arthur George Tansley, uh, who was active in the beginning of the 20th century, um, which sort of is about, and I think ecologists don't listen to this bit, um, 
doing multiple, lots of different, um, highly, uh, highly educated professionals in different fields doing experiments, uh, in their chosen areas to achieve one specific goal so that it's like a holistic, the cumulative outputs from a group of highly skilled disciplined professionals all studying the same problem and routinely sharing their findings. And just like ecologists, um, it's very holistic. It's holistic. Um, and also the, um, uh, Liebig's law of the minimum. So when, uh, he could have just said, uh, the lowest common denominator, uh, when hmm. they're talking about, what's he talking about? Water. 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 Yeah. And the sort of the limits that, uh, the lack of one thing will put on the rest of an ecological system. Um, yeah. Uh, so he was the like, the he weakest, said something else, didn't he? Yes. The weakest link on Arrakis is water. And that is mm-hmm. Liebig's law of the minimum. Uh, popularized by Justus von Liebig, who, Ooh. uh, is a guy who was a, a bio, biologist at a point in history. And that's cool. great. One of the points in history. Well, several points in history, really. Mm-hmm. Depends how you're yes. defining a Maybe point. Maybe even a line in history. Oh, oh goodness. <laughs> Sorry. Ray, um, what? you're blowing my mind with all this <laughs> high-level... Anyway, high-level jokes. High-level jokes. Extreme jokes. Yeah, so I feel really bad for Jessica because like, she is, doesn't make her super miserable yet, but it's gonna yeah and she's like definitely aware of it too because she's already making like passive aggressive jabs at him about it yeah she knows something is up she knows he's being like weird to her and she wears like warm colors to be like fuck off stop being such a cold piece of shit um and she you know in her internal moral she's she's constantly worrying about like did i do something wrong like what i chose to do this for a reason like does he not understand like what's up what's going on um, and I feel I feel really bad. Like Jessica's, it's so it's so stupid. I mean, I love how in like their internal monologues are all kind of juxtaposed, and you see them just yeah. sort of mutually miss each other's point all I know, the time. And that's interesting, and isn't it's it? So and like it's interesting that this chapter is written in different perspectives, and it swings between them. Mm. Yeah, um, it's sad. It is to see them miss each other. They're 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 such a good couple. And they love each yeah, other. Yeah, they do love each other. If they like, I, I, the, the thing about them is like, I feel like if they were united, they could fucking do anything. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> like so much of this is like, the Duke would be fine if he told Jessica what was up. Like Jessica would save his life. I know she could do it, mm-hmm. but like, no, he just doesn't want to. He doesn't tell her anything. <sighs> I mean, uh, it's, it's a sexism problem, right? Yeah. Isn't it? It is. One of, the, one of my favorite things from the previous chapter was, like, how when... Because there's so many versions of this story where, like, the Harkonnens set up Jessica as the traitor, and then he believes it, and then he's paranoid of her actually. And one of the things I liked about the chapter was, like, no, I don't fucking believe for a second that she's turned against me. But I need to figure out what the actual point of this scheme is, and that's why I'm not going to tell her. And, like, that's better... It's better, but it still sucks. Yeah, he still doesn't talk to her. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's just like, oh, and we're suspicious now. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't suspicious. fucking figure out before he dies. <laughs> what was oh. the point? 
Duke. Dune. Dune. Um. I can't believe Paul named his son after this guy. I know. Later but also, name, though. his son is a lot worse than this guy. Yeah. He's bad. <laughs> He's bad. I read the um, Wikipedia summary for God Emperor of Dune, and I just, like, oh I, I can't stop thinking about how nonsensical it is. I don't want to know what happens, but I read, I read the, um, I read the Dune Encyclopedia entry for Leto the Second, and I was like, damn. <laughs> Shit. I mean, I, I also had the misfortune of Google image searching Leto to Atreides, and what did I see? Well, it was horrible, and I shan't tell you. with arms and faces. Worm, worm with arm and face. Worm with arm and face. And also, a lot of it, a lot of the imagery looks very yonic, and I don't know whether that's to inspire like oh, a no. primal yeah. body terror experience. Um, oh, I've actually found so. a decent piece of fan art. Oh, I like the one where it's just a tube with a face. <laughs> I like the one with the sort of waggling arms, the blue one with the arms. It's just like I'm suffering looks a bit too small and looks really silly like he's just wearing a costume okay i'm gonna link you this actually pretty solid fan art Ooh. oh that's pretty good yeah right yeah oh, nice. but i also do feel like he should be more horrific yeah oh, there are horrific ones out there uh, yeah i know let me tell you <laughs> um so 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 about the captain um <laughs> when 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 leto is doing his weird speech he says something, and I don't know what it means, so I'm going to read it out and ask you what you think it means. Okay. He says, Review, friends. Troops long past review. The Duke intoned. All to fate a weight of pains and dollars. Their spirits wear our silver collars. Review, friends. Troops long past review. Each a dot of time without pretense or guile. With them passes the lure of fortune. Review, friends. Troops long past review. When our time ends on its Richter smile, we'll pass the lure of fortune. Isn't what does like that mean? Isn't it one of Gurney Halleck's sad army songs about overworked troops and the futility when of I war? Was like, and the when I read it, impossibility I was like, maybe of equitable remuneration under capitalism. I guess, I guess so. <clears throat> yeah, that feels right. Yeah? Yeah. What does it mean in the context of... Now, in the context of this, I don't really know. <laughs> I think it's one of those yeah. class-shaming things again, right? Like, this is... It, so much of what the Duke is doing here is, like, these people suffer for you, and you're going to confront that now. Oh, yeah, because it's just before he does the, the water-on-the-floor thing. And so, like, this is, like, all right, here's how... So, right before he does, here's how the people of Arrakis suffer, he's like, this is how our soldiers suffer for us. And we all have to stare that dead in the eye. And, like, I kind of really like the point of it, even if I don't think he executes on the, like... I don't know if I execute on the power plays, but I respect what his intent here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he says, I give you the words of Gurney's song. Uh, a toast to all who have died bringing us to this station. And everybody is, like, super uncomfortable because they don't like thinking about all the people who have died on their behalf. Who have died to, like, enable their yeah. privilege. But he had to look that in the eye sort of a couple of chapters ago as well. And now he's like, I am woke now. Now I am woke. And it's strange because he doesn't like stop doing it, but he is like, all right, these are the ethical compromises I'm making to be the person I am. 
And like, I guess, I guess, like, later was supposed to be a character about trying to, trying to go go about what you think is your duty while being in a structure that is unethical and doesn't match your moral value, while also not being willing to mantle that system or leave it behind because of like things that you feel like you are beholden to even though you're like you're not there's nothing there's nothing that says that Lita can't like go and live on a blackwater planet backwater planet with his wife and his son and like have a nice life in a cottage there's literally nothing stopping him doing that i think that's actually a fitting precursor to then paul who is the liberator of his of the his adopted people in that his dad can can notice the inequalities but can't do anything about it, whereas Paul will ride a sandworm to victory and etc. But at the same time, he's still he still perpetuates that system. He still becomes the Duke. In the end, like he doesn't he doesn't do anything to actually break it down. He doesn't do anything to actually replace it or to opt out of leadership that is at the expense of other people. He does the same. He does the same thing just in a more woke seeming way. Uh-huh. I mean, I wow, think it's June is a book about wokeness. Wow, amazing. I think it's interesting, like, um, again, it sort of links in with the um, very, uh, like, conservative old head type concept of history as, like, the monarchy is a way of terraforming, like, socially terraforming um, societies. Um, so, uh, you know, each generation of good man or bad man as the case may be goes and does something that the next generation has to be like hmm but is this the right way to lead and then they lead but it's in a different way and then that person's son or whatever goes oh but father i don't know if what you did was right and maybe when i'm big i'll do something different and then they do something and it also doesn't when really i'm work. a big boy when i'm a big boy when i'm a big king and my reach is that of a god uh, and none of them consider anarchy i don't understand why um because it you know obviates the necessity for power to because be concentrated in one power. power yeah um <laughs> yeah, cool great Kavi, do you have any background in political science at all can you help us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I've, I wouldn't call myself an expert on political science. I do, I do think that very much this is like, it really is that, like, I, I don't think it's quite this, but it's the equivalent of neoliberalism for having yeah. monarchies of like, yeah. Well, we can't overturn the system, but we're going to try and make it as good for the people at the... So we have to compromise. Yeah, right. It's like making the system as as good as it can be for the people at the bottom of the system, but not being willing to overturn it. And that's what... And that means that people just still have a bad time. Which is time. why my reference to Barack Obama was so apropos. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. It's applause, very applause. apropos. It's <laughs> the Barack Obama of Dukes. <laughs> Duke Barack Obama of Dune. Do we want to talk about the food? Because I love the food. I was curious about some of it. Do you want me to read the food? The food bit. Well, I mean, first of all, the Duke says, "Give me a beat, Gurney," and Gurney give me a beat. beat. <laughs> and then he sings all of Nasty Boys. <laughs> Don't mean a thing. Uh, just what a crumpled tune. <laughs> Nasty. By the way, just so you know, everyone around the table, your accents have condemned you to being Nasty Boys. 
I really want the version of this where instead of where a ballaset is actually like a, a launch pad. <laughs> like, I, I want it to be like a boombox. And like in an what? 80s music video, they like press he the play button. He just presses play <laughs> and then he like nods his head. <laughs> this is about you. Um, Gurney Halleck. I was going to say Gurney Halleck should be played by Sean Wasabi, but I think Sean Wasabi is too attractive. <laughs> it has to be someone who's very ugly. You're right. Thank you. Um, okay, so a minor chord from the ballaset floated out of the alcove. Servants began putting plates of food on the table at the Duke's gesture, releasing them. Roast dessert hare. Wrote desert hair. Roast desert hair. Roast dessert hair. Ooh, first, uh... sweet meat dessert. Uh, roast desert hair in the sauce cepeda. What do you think sauce cepeda is? I feel like it's made out of um, crickets. Centipedes. Yeah. Uh, Aplomage Syrian. I should, I should what not do you think that is? Uh, something from Syria. No, joking. Uh, not the case. <laughs> Bad. Um, it looks like it's a French word. Yeah, um, I bet you could sort of like go back and kind of work out what Frank's inspirations were for the word aplomage. Uh, chucker under glass, like chicken, like chicken under a brick. You ever had under chicken glass? under a brick? Was it cooked under glass? Like when was you cook it? chicken under a brick. <laughs> yeah, I think I know what you mean, but the way you're saying it is very funny. Coffee with where is this? I'm trying to find the food list. I learned about chicken under a brick when I was 12. The idea that you could just put a fucking brick in the oven. And I was like, this is... You were like, brick goes in oven? <laughs> I was like, you don't do that. That's not a food. <laughs> brick, not food. Um, What's a true pot away? Isn't oi a, a bird? It's like... So it's like, you know how... Like, you know how you have pot au feu? Which is like... Which is like a French dish. Pot au feu. Do you think French still exists in this universe, or do you think Frank is just using it to connote fancy food? I think he's using it to connote fanciness. Because they have another French food. They do, and it's uh, wild hare's tongues. Yes. Isn't that bad? Long de la panda coin. Okay. Delicious. Delicious. Way. Way. Oh. Um, uh, um, coffee with melange, a rich od- cinnamon odour from the spice wafted across the table. And then true pot... Cinnamon coffee does actually sound like it would be it good. It does. I mean, and everyone like, oh, you do get so tired of the spice being in everything. Um, like, oh, I'm so rich that I'm bored of it. I have so much spice. You're jealous of you my spice. You do get tired of... <laughs> Sorry. The immortality juice being in all of the food that you eat. Don't you just hate it? Don't you just get so tired of gold leaf and all your food? <laughs> Everyone at this dinner is an asshole, is the thing. Apart from Dr. Kynes, we love him. Dr. Kynes is also sort of an asshole, but like he's earned he it. He is an asshole, but I do like him. Yeah, he, He's just the one who's like earned being an asshole. Yeah. He's <laughs> the only one who's allowed. He's allowed to be an asshole here in a way no one else should be, <laughs> but he's... Is being. Yeah. So I don't really know what I wanted to say about the food, apart from that I didn't really know what um, the thing under glass meant. Chucker under glass. It seems like... I don't know. I can't imagine what it <laughs> what it is. Okay, so apparently this is... This is a thing derived from pheasant under glass? I don't know why it's called that. 
Cool. It is a poultry dish composed of the breast of pheasant with shallots and a reduced wine sauce. Uh, it is traditionally served on a plate that is covered with a glass dome. So it is literally oh, okay. just, it's just under, it's under just, glass. It's just in a dome of glass, huh? Okay. Um, but it says cool. on, on Wikingtonpedia that um, the apparent extravagance... The apparent extravagance of the dish is similar to that of caviar and similar to, to but less controversial than pate or ortolan. And Ray, do you know do you know about ortolan? No, I don't. Oh, it's a good bad. What is it? It's a it's a little it's a little bird. Huh? Which is, it's uh, a really cute bird. It's a really cute bird. Uh huh. Um. And, um, so, okay, for, this is a quote from, uh, The Wine Spectator. I don't know what that is, but, you know, great name. Oh, lifestyle magazine that focuses on wine and wine culture. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, for centuries, a rite of passage for French gourmets was the eating of the ortolan. These tiny birds, captured alive, forced fed, then drowned in armagnac, were roasted whole and eaten that way, bones and all, while the diner draped his head with a linen napkin to preserve the precious aromas, and some believe, to hide from God. That's the most dude shit I've ever (laughs) read. (laughs) And you know, like... That's so dumb. And like, some people are like, oh... Some people think that it enhances the shame, but some say that it enhances the pleasure. The pleasure. How <laughs> the pleasure? The pleasure. Um, but like, I think essentially what Frank is doing is sort of evoking a 1965 version of haute cuisine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just trying to make it sound fancy and a fancy. It's a fancy. Hoity and toity. It's hoity-toity. Hoitiest of toity cuisine. Yeah, they're like making white people fusion food out of the, the stuff that they have. Mm-hmm. But like kind of, like when people insist on French wine, because French wine. No, no, yes, it's Caladin wine. wine. It's Caladin wine. And it doesn't have a hint of the spice in it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ray, and and also Carvey, sorry. I do sense a lot of my senses <laughs> with Ray. Ray, um, I was at... I was at a wine and cheese evening at work this week and I just got like very drunk and happy and I made lots of wine opinion noises and everyone was like, you're incorrect. And I was like, fuck you. I'm Can drinking. you do a wine opinion impression for me now? Well, um, medium light body. Um, uh, it's an old grape. It's an old grape. Uh, with sort of like the secondary fermentation frisante. Almost as old as this. This is an old, old, old shriveled grape. Um, and, um, what else? Uh, so orchard fruits, very light acidity, um, Uh sort of a mineral quicksilver quality in the mouth. Um, quicksilver? Yes, like it rolls around and it's very, um. Mm, tastes like mercury. I'm about to die. Delicious. Quicksilver quality is a great name. Quicksilver quality. Yes. Next up, uh, techno band Quicksilver quality. You know? Like. It's either that or like a cool space drag name. Yeah. Hello. It's me. You, they go by QQ? It's great. Yeah, actually, you know, you're right. It's badass. It's great. 
That sounds nice. A very bougie evening. Yes. We've been talking lots about, like, breaking down social hierarchy, but you went on a very bougie evening there. Well, I didn't pay for any of it. Oh, that's good then. Yeah. I think we should just talk about the really good, the really good, the best part of this chapter. The, the that centerpiece. Begins, yes, the centerpiece, where I think, um, where would you say it begins? I think it begins like uh, where the banker says, I enjoy watching the flights of birds on Arrakis. All of our words, of course, are carried. This is how he talks now. <laughs> and maids, that's without water. Hasn't become Here's the thing. Drinkers. Can we rewind really quick to just talk about Lingar Butte? Yes. <laughs> of course we can. <laughs> what, do you mean Gengar Newt? <laughs> <laughs> like the Pokemon? I just... Here's a bit. Um, Leto's remembering, uh, like, a, a briefing that Thufir Hawat gave him, uh-huh. where he's like, and this water shipper is a man to watch. Lingar Butte. Remember the name. <laughs> oh, I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dumb. Bad. <laughs> such a bad name! <laughs> Sci-fi is good. Water customs are so interesting, Butte says. There was a smile on his face. <laughs> no. The thing you really need to un- imagine is him doing the fucking Fort Minor song. I don't know what that is. 5% pleasure, 50% pain. This is how I feel about Lingar Butte, except it's like just 10% bullshit and then 20% bullshit and they're all, it's all. 15% bullshit. 15% nonsense. I like the bit where Butte is like, there isn't enough, there isn't enough water. This is his voice. There just isn't enough water. And then Kynes is like, ah, Master Butte is an expert on water in like the shittiest way possible. It's so good. Right. Cause like once it opens up, it basically becomes the thing we've kept, we've talked about of this like passive aggressive five dimensional five player chess. Uh, yeah. Where they're all just, like, making secret digs at each other. They're doing secret digs. They're doing hand gestures. They're receiving notes. Yeah. And, like, secret political things that mean stuff. They're saying code words to each other. They're saying things that, like, mean greater things about their positions and what's going to happen in the future. So there's a banker who's a Harkonnen spy. There's Lingar Butte here, who's also sort of, like, worked with the Harkonnens, but, like, you know, was never really... Mm -hmm. In their pocket. He wasn't their their subordinate. <laughs> he shrinks into a corn cob. He's not owned. He's not owned. There's a bit where they talk about bird cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, I like that bit. Because, you know, they do say some really, you know, the bird stuff is really interesting because it's like, you know, Arrakis requires cannibalism, it requires brutality, it requires competition. And then Paul proves that he's a good boy and just by understanding ecology. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think the key thing here is basically that so much of this debate is conducted around the sort of central premise that like of, of what Ray was just saying, right? That like Arrakis mm-hmm. requires this sort of brutality, this sort of like constant vigilance about water, this constant like mm-hmm. competition for yeah. resources. And in the meanwhile, Kynes is just sitting there like, "Yup, that's definitely what it's yep. like." Mm-hmm. 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 I'm not stockpiling water at all. Uh, not me. No, no, no. I've never... I don't know how it could be any different. What are you talking about? What, what do you mean? I don't, yep. 
everything, nothing will change here. He's so smug about it. It's great. I really like how the the reason, the way we, we actually learn about any of this is because Jessica has basically a superpower of being able to uh, intuit what people are saying. To understand um, things. So it's just like, oh, well, yeah. this means this. That's another thing I, I feel like I haven't... The thing about the Bene Gesserit is, like, their superpower is being emotionally literate. Yeah. I Which I like. I really like that. I like that, but it also speaks so much to the fact that Frank oh, Herbert yeah, is a man. Oh, yeah, obviously. It's like, but yeah, their secret power is femininity. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also the fact that they... The fact that them being emotionally literate, being their their power that makes them able to control things, and the fact that everybody is so utterly disgusted and freaked out and suspicious of it is like really speaks volumes about the amount of sexism that isn't that is in the society, like integral to the society that is like hundreds of thousands of years into the future. Like, oh, we didn't we didn't get past this. Oh, okay, great. I mean, as an ecological parable and as a political parable, it does great, it does great mm. stuff. But as on, on the race and gender fronts, it's very regressive, pretty it's, much. Right? Yeah. And I think the thing that just throws me about it is, is the idea that like, I mean, it's mostly, it's not just that emotional, being emotionally literate is a superpower. It's that Frank Herbert clearly thinks that being emotionally literate is a superpower. Yeah. Like he talks he about like, the Bene Gesserit, doesn't like, get it. when he talks about the Bene Gesserit, it's not like, oh, they've discovered the ancient art that we all know of like, you know, being emotionally literate. Like we all, it, he like talks about He's it like, like, this is something only women yeah, it's not even just that. He's like, this is something only women with specialized training in a far future society can do. And it's like... Listen to the tone of someone's voice. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, I say this as a person who is, like, you know, pos- probably on the autism spectrum and, like, has had trouble judging mm. people's intent before. Yeah. But, like, we have to learn. Yeah, and you learn, like, a little bit just existing as, you know, a person a who person. is treated yeah. as a woman. And I feel like, I feel like, um, Frank seems to me like someone who has never really had to think hard about how somebody else feels. And what when when it comes to this in conversation, the thing that always comes back into my mind is that he he wrote a lot and he stopped earning money so that he could write and his wife also wanted to write she really cared about writing her dream was to write but she couldn't do it because he didn't have a job (laughs) so she had to work and like keep them afloat while he was like writing june i like it sort of is really very representative of like how he treated other people, I guess. Yeah, and, and women especially, but it also, like, occurs to me how much... In so- There's an argument to be made that Dune is a, ca- is, a, is a book featuring a cast made up entirely of Frank Herbert in different circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> Which is essentially, like, in a lot of ways, this feels like him playing chess, like, characters playing chess with versions of themselves who have slightly different amounts yeah. of knowledge, who have, like, slightly different experiences. Yeah. But they're all essentially the person that he is. I mean, maybe not the person that he is, but, like, they're all essentially variants on the same person jockeying for different positions. I think lots and lots and lots of them are, yes. I think you're right. 
And I think the the fact that we we do get this kind of omniscient narrator type stuff, and then we get insights into people's internal monologues mm. and the way they kind of cross over and the understanding cross crosses over, and the way that people's different personality traits allow them to see specific versions of the truth, um, and how everyone is kind of the same on the inside as they are on the outside. Yeah, it is very much Frank playing with playing with dolls of himself. Yeah. And it's quite, it, it's done in a way that seems very complex, but it's not that complex. It's like a dumb, it's like a very, it's like a dumb genius move. It really is. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> and every, every cool, great female character in this whole book is explicitly described as a freak in some way. And it's like. Freak with a Q. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you get <Sorry>. it. <laughs> Um, but uh, I really like the fact that I think despite despite all this, he is trying to be like the 1965 version of an ally, right? In that he's kind of being like, ah, yes, but don't you know, behind every powerful man is a powerful woman. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did I, did I even say that? Yes, I did. Yes, I'm I did. Frank. I'm, I'm woke. Frank. Hello. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes wow did you know mm. because they have to put up with us men with strange powers <laughs> their superpower of listening and being nice <laughs> <laughs> i can't imagine how anybody do it mm. um fucking yeah frank Closer to the plot, I think what kinds, the, 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 the debate goes like back and forth and mm. kinds sort of, they start talking about terraforming. <clears throat> and I think there's an implication that like, the Duke is like, I could turn this into like a, I want to turn this into like a jungle world. Mm. And kind is like, what if we just made it like a little bit of a better desert? Like, what if it was a desert that sucked a little less? Yeah, right. But also like, the reason that kinds is Oh, cagey here. And I'm going to, like, we don't know the text yet, but I think it is relevant. Is that, like, so they talk about the South being something that's completely alien and that nobody has seen or understood or, like, ever been to. And then, like, um, when later on in the book, we discover that, like, oh, the South is where, firstly, where all of the Fremen live and they're doing fine. And secondly, the South is, like, where everybody's stockpiling water so that they can, like, in like 200 years they can change Arrakis into somewhere that like is habitable and good like they've mm. had this project running for like a seriously long time <laughs> and um Kynes is just like being like mm-hmm yep mm-hmm. yeah and that's the thing that's great about Kynes is that it's this is so clearly like an indulgence for him yeah like he shows up to be like oh this is cute <laughs> you're all very cute you're very With cute your, like with your like weird power, like water posturing, and your like noble games. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's there to I- illustrate that no one else around the table can think outside of their own experience, mm. and it's also like a, a kind of drawing the distinction between the um the 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 I mean, and these words very much in inverted commas, the settlers and the natives, mm. yeah. because the settlers can't possibly imagine. A life outside of their particular cushioned existence with the particular water strictures that they're facing, uh, uh, sort of completely refusing to change their lifestyle in order to mm. li- live in the desert sustainably, yeah. um, 
which is a little bit kind of like climate change type yeah. situation yeah. stuff. And this is the bit where like his like, ecology winter. stuff comes through, right? Like this is the <clears throat> this is the part I think I am soft on because I think it has the most heart. Yeah. Because Frank loves ecology so much. Yeah, and he I think very genuinely is does not enjoy Climate change really scares Frank. Yeah. Um, or scared him. Was that was and, like, it like that's clear in this book? How prominent of a thing was it when this book was written? Do you think? Because I don't I, know. I mean, I think it was less prominent. I think that the apocalypse was felt less imminent, yeah. but there was definitely concerns about like pesticides were a big thing. Toxic pesticides were definitely having ripple effects okay. on. Um, yeah. So it was a thing. It was just less like immediately terrifying. Apart from it was less immediately terrified, like, but there were absolutely no concern. Like, I think yeah. eagle populations started... This was DDT era, um, yeah. I believe. Um, DDT might have been a little bit later. I don't know what that means. It was, a, it was a pesticide that was used in the... Um, it was first synthesized in 74. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was used in the back half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um um, and like it got so bad, but it was used so common that it actually started leaking into the ecosystem and it was like causing cancer. It was causing ecological damage. Wow. And like, it's very, it's very funny that like the thing that got us to move forward on DD, on banning DDT was that it was compromising the population of bald eagles. Oh, interesting. Extremely interesting. <laughs> Which, 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 uh, listeners may know is the symbol of America. Mm-hmm. It's the official animal of America. Cool. Oh my god, so it was for patriotism reasons, essentially, then we're saying. <clears throat> I mean, put it this way DDT might have been banned eventually because, like, it was probably gonna cause damage to agriculture at some point. But, like, I don't think that hurt, you know what I mean? Yeah, it didn't hurt more than eagles. It didn't did. hit in the way that bald eagles no. did, right? No. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Um I think I think But yeah, this is this is the era of DDT. This is the era yeah. of toxic so pesticides probably being common. Quite significantly on his mind. I mean yeah. the I guess the central aspect of the chapter is like, can things change or can't they? And the people who can't see the the ability of change are, are people who would who would lose from change because yeah. they're in a posi- they're in positions of privilege that come from structures that are harmful. Uh, which I find and also you know, are the changes that those people want to in, institute in hopes of making things quote unquote better um, like really best for the world or not because kinds is you know kinds is like you know there are lots of lots of animals survive and if we can figure out how to do what they do if we can terraform the planet to just be a, just a little bit friendlier um, then like we're good. But, like, Duke Leto is like, I want to turn the entire world into that conservatory. But you know it's just fucking words, right? Like, he doesn't have a way to do it. He doesn't really have a plan to do it. He's just saying that he wants to do it. It is just fucking words, but it's the kind of thing that, like, if he could snap his fingers and do it, he He would. would. And that would be worse for the world. If he had to work for 300 years to do it, then I don't know if he would, right? He'd maybe tell someone else to do it. That's the most that he could do. Yeah. But like I remember one of the things in 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 the later Dune books is that like Arrakis turns into a weird jungle world and it like sucks. Yeah. Because Arrakis should not be a jungle world and the ecology of Arrakis is not prepared yeah. for that. And all the worms die oh. out, don't they? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's like a big deal because the worms yeah. are tied to the vice and so on yeah. and so forth. And, I've, and heard, like, I've heard also people say that um, uh, Dune is, and Frank said this himself, I think, that Dune is sort of caution against heroes and messiah figures and the fact that they like go to places and fuck everything up. And I guess, you know, that's what, that's what the events of this book started. Like it started through the best intentions. It started a course where everything became progressively worse. Not that they weren't bad in the first place, not that they didn't need to change, but the fact that it was a, a hero that tried to change them rather than like dead fast, slow, realistic work. Um, the fact that it was that, not that went, went very, made it go very badly. Shall we do one of the week? They call me Dr. Worm. Good morning, how are you? I'm Dr. Worm. I'm interested in things. I think, yes, let's cool. Who has one? I have a one of the week that I think I very much like, but I kind of want to go last. Okay, I'll do mine. I'll do mine. Okay, so my one of the week. My one of the week is kind of twofold. So um, today I today I googled worm art. Um, maybe it's threefold. Okay, today I googled worm art, um, and I I sort of was thinking about well, what what kind of worm art is there out in out in the world? And I firstly I saw one image that I thought was very beautiful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the thing and I'm just gonna describe the image. I don't really know super much about it, but um it's uh it's kind of a, a really beautiful painting um that is like these kind of worm like paths that fold into each other and overlap each other and sort of wander around the, the space of the canvas um in like shapes and loops and things. Uh it's called uh, Narupi, I think, Worm Dreaming, which is a good name for a painting. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's very beautiful. Apparently it tells, tells of a love story <laughs> with a worm singing love songs to attract another worm. As the worm travels underground in the soft ground, he leaves patterns which attract a crow. The markings in this painting depict the wanderings of the worm in their search for a mate. Which I'm like, cool. <laughs> Um, nice, nice worm painting. I like it. Worms I love, look- I love the worm lore that's being given to us here. <laughs> but while I was looking at the worm painting, I remembered something that my friend, um, my friend Mocha, put on Twitter, um, and was talking about how how the body. My this worm of the week is gross. It's really gross. Okay. Um, it's about uh, so my my friend was talking about how the body sort of can register and the mind can notice things and transmit things before you cognitively realize that they're happening to you and actually think about what what is going on. Okay. So, um, but so um, there was a man. His name was Ben Taylor, um, and he created a painting called The Host, and it's like an eye, and it's made of these sort of elaborate sort of twisting tubey pattern um it says the beginning of the article says the painting was not an image of anything in particular just an abstract confluence of psychedelic colors and worm-like patterns inside a perfectly round circle ben taylor didn't like it much and he said he didn't know why he painted it 
but the worm-like patterns represent years of spiraling into unknown illness that had driven the 47-year-old painter and musician to depression and sometimes even thoughts of suicide. Um, and he gave it up. He shelved it in 2014. And um, so he was ill for a really long time. And then um, he felt like lots of, he felt really weird sensations in his body. His white blood cells went weird. He got rashes. His joints ached. He ate loads of things and he didn't really understand going on um none of the tests showed anything and then he found a worm in his eye jesus oh. yeah oh my so gosh. he painted he painted this worm eye before he knew that he had worms in his eye and he painted loads of things that were like circular with worms in before he knew he had these worms that's terrifying um, yeah. i know um, I think it's incredibly cool that like your mind can express things non-verbally that you're not even aware of. It is super cool and super terrifying. And I feel better about my thing, which also involves worm ingesting worms in some fashion. Oh, cool. okay. I mean, mine's very not about ingesting worms. And okay. in fact, it's, my, it's not even about worms, really. Yeah, so... I mean, that's what I found really interesting. I, I really, really like this story about a man who found a woman in his eye. And then to lighten the mood, I also, <laughs> I also looked up kidsactivities.net slash worm-themed game, worm-themed games <laughs> and activities for kids. That's so good. So I'm going to describe some worm-up to you just to lighten the mood in the breath. So one, worm-up, dip some pieces of yarn into paint and drag it across paper to make squiggles, lines, etc. Two, paint with cooked spaghetti. Basically the same thing. <laughs> worm idea. It says here, if possible, observe a live worm. Roll, wiggle and squirm. And then you do the same thing with string and paint. <laughs> Lots, it's heavy on the string and paint, I feel. They're all, they're all very similar reliant things. on. Okay, now it's your turn. Great, Ray, that was, that was very, that was a great worm of the week. Thanks. Well, my worm of the week is a, is a typographical worm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is my fav- one of my favorite typographical diacritical marks, the tilde. Oh, oh the tilde. The little That's wiggly, a good worm. The wiggly the um, dash. Wiggly dash. Tilde. Tilde. Wiggly dash. What do you have to say about the tilde? Just that it's, it's wonderful. It's expressive. It is good. Um, it's, it's beautiful. And it sometimes encapsulates a need that I have difficulty putting into words when you are typing something just to, uh, just to wiggle. Put it in the tilde. Put it in the tilde. Put a tilde in it. Put a tilde in it. Put a tilde in it. And Put a tilde it is also it. the thing that goes on top of the N in Spanish to make it, um, like manana or el nino. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that it was also the that tilde. It's also called it the tilde. Um, there cool. is a small tilde. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the tilde that it goes over the top of uh, other mm-hmm. characters. And uh, the reason for the name, which um, is from, you'll be surprised to hear, possibly not surprised to hear, uh, the Latin word titulus, meaning title or superscription. Uh, and the reason for the name was that it was originally written over a letter as a scribal abbreviation as a mark of suspension, shown as a straight line when used with capitals. So, like... That's, that's cool. cool. It's just um, it's just lovely. It's wonderful. And I think on Twitter, among the people who I used to follow, who are all, like, young, cool American journalists <laughs> who wrote um, personal essays, 
and leftist screeds mostly yeah. on websites that now no longer exist. R.I.P. the all. R.I.P. the toast. R.I.P. the toast. Shout out to Daniel Mallory Orberg. Shout out to Daniel Mallory Orberg. He's we great. Like him. Do. Yeah. Daniel Mallory Orberg, come on the podcast. I'm still like freaking out about him and Grace Lavery getting married. I know, married. it's perfect. It's like fan fiction. Um, but yeah, sometimes people would just type in capital letters tilde club and then write a lot of tildes to it, tildes to each other. And I thought that was just lovely. No, it's tildes. It's tildes. A wonderful, Tilda. expressive, typographical worm. What's yours, Gabby? All right. So my worm, um, is called Yule, the honest worm. Ooh. And to tell you the story of Yule, I need you to tell the, I need to tell you the story of three Princesses. Ooh. Uh, these princesses are called Arash, Shiro, and Sathona. Mm-hmm. They were aliens. Mm-hmm. They were a part of a very short-lived um, alien race. Uh, um, a gas giant called Fundament. They were the daughters of the Osmium King. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day, their their like den mother. Um, they're they're an insectoid people, right? So like most of them die in about ten years. But if you if one of them drinks the mother jelly, um, uh, she can develop wings and give birth and also live much longer than ten years. Um, their den mother, um, Chaos, uh, betrayed the Osmium King, um, sold them out to their rivals, the Helium Drinkers, and then uh, the three princesses. Uh, escaped basically like by the skin of their teeth. And they all swore revenge on Teox for betraying them, on the helium drinkers for killing their father and driving them out into the like oceans of this gas giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they spent years sort of like scavenging these oceans, trying to find some secret, some technology, some kind of weapon that would help them reclaim their home from the osmium or from the helium drinkers who killed their father. And one of the things they discover is they discover a very ancient, very powerful needle-shaped ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they take this ship into the core of the gas giant, where the pressure would kill them instantly if they were outside, where, you know, it would destroy normal life boats. And at the center of this gas giant, they discover Yule the Honest Worm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read you what Yule says to Arash, who is like the oldest princess. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. You are Arash, heir to the Osmium throne. You stand on the naked hull of an ancient ship. You stand exposed to the crushing pressure and ferocious heat of the deeper fundament. It should annihilate you. It is by my will alone that you survive. That's a cool worm. Did you set your mind in motion? Is this a Ju- it's not a Dune thing, right? It's not a Dune thing. It's from Destiny. Oh, it's uh, from Destiny. It's from De- what? What is? What is Destiny, please? Uh, Destiny is a video game by Bungie. Um, they used to make Halo. Now they make Destiny. Destiny is like uh, some science fantasy like bullshit, but it's like my favorite flavor of science fantasy bullshit. Where it's like there's robots and also magic. We love it. And, the, and it feels like this particular thing, and it might it maybe has like an interpolation of some Dune things. Oh, absolutely! Like this is what I was I was saying this. I was saying this earlier, right? Like, everything is just... Everything is... June, June is patient zero for science fiction fantasy bullshit. Yeah. Uh, Yule goes on to say, I am Yule, the honest worm. Behold my passage. Behold my vast displacement. My ponderous strength. My great and coiling length. My folded jaws and curled wings. My great and Behold the hiding cities symbiotic with my flesh. 
Fuck yeah. I am Thetham de Orash. I am at the beginning and the end of lives. Fuck yeah, bitch. I love it. Behold Ear and Zol and Ur and Akka, the virtuous worms. Look upon us and know that we are good. Yule goes on to make a bargain with these uh, princesses, um, which is, he's, they say, um, we want to help you, princes. We offer to each of you a bargain, a symbiosis. Take into your bodies our children, our newborn larva. From them, you shall obtain eternal light. Oh my god. From them, you shall gain power over your own fragile flesh, power to make of it as you will. And should you find an imperfection in the world, an injustice or an inconvenience, you will have the power to repair it. Let no mere law bind you. We ask one thing in exchange, O princes. You must obey your nature forever. In your immortality, Arash, you may never cease to explore and inquire for the sake of your children. In your immortality, Shiro, you may never cease to test your strength. In your immortality, Sathona, you may never abandon cunning. If you do, your worm will consume you. And as your power grows, O princesses, so will your worm's appetite. But we offer eternity, Arash. We offer you a chance to the universe. Would you deny your people infinity? Reach up to me. Let my flesh be your sacrament. This is from a, a, a bit of destiny, like deep lore called the Books of Sorrow, which is the story of how, um, these prince, princesses, um, become the gods of what are called the hive and how they come to, like, become the sort of, like, villainous faction that you end up fighting in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love it because it's this sort of like, it's this quasi religious philosophical like bullshit, but it's <laughs> so, so, so. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. And it's so, <laughs> like, I love the characters. I love that they started out as these tiny princesses at the bottom of the world who's like, we're going to die in five years. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, they're like gods who have lived for millennia. Yeah. They Leto the second up. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for that worm of the week. I love having worms worms from different cultures. Game worms, ecological worms, worm worms, worms, typographical worms, all different genres of worms. The worm cultural exchange. Find us at university at twitter.com on Twitter. On twitter.com. That's us. And you can email us. Please email us. Please email my wife, the podcast university at <laughs> university at gmail.com. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Fizzoid. You cannot find me on Twitter. Please don't. Uh, my name is, my name is Kavita Gorduri. You can find me on Twitter at YRGirlKV. You can find the game I design at twitter.com slash songs to the dust. That's, that's it. Or you can find it on itch.io. Like Kavi's game! It's good! Thank you, Kavi. We have loved having you on. Yes, that's very cool. I have loved being here. This was great. We can't do Worm of the Spice because there's three of us. Kavi, you get to choose whether you want to Worm of the Spice. And we'll be whatever you have, whatever's left of us. Hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and say Worm. Okay, we're both the Spice. We did it. I'm skanking on a dark slot. I'm drunk off that Hennessy. I ain't sober. I don't mix with Coca Cola or soda. But right now I'm on a roller. I take a look over my shoulder and I see this sexy thing. I think it's time to work my way over. So I shuffle on my heels and I bounce on my toes. I'm crazy and she knows. Still it's all good, I suppose. So she didn't complain. She backed it up. So I got behind her and I lapped it up. Then we danced all night. Then the sun came up. Then I took it to my yard and I wrapped it up. A member of the Juju Nation down in New Orleans. You don't need an application if you move your feet. Explode!
between my toes.